0: hello everyone this is nick bogaz and siler chapman we're at PerfectingPizza.com, and today we're going to bring you the real slice with a very special guest mr mike bausch of andolini's pizza out in tulsa oklahoma we're going to give you our two cents on the pizza industry share some knowledge from our decades of operating and owning pizzerias answer your questions and also bring in some great pizza operators from around the country to give you some great insights nuggets And we definitely hope you will operate a better and more profitable
1: pizza business. Welcome in, Siler. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. How's everything been on your end?
0: Oh, everything's been great. Uh, Gearing up for Pizza Expo, uh, Super Bowl of pizza. We've, We've waited about 29 months for this to happen. So that's where all my concentration is right now. Making sure the pizzerias will be secure for us to depart and get out to Vegas and making sure we've got some great content to bring
1: to the Vegas show. How about yourself? I'm I'm doing the exact same thing. We're super excited about Expo. Um, You know, we're uh, me, uh, Mike. I'm trying to think. Um, Yeah, Michael Shepard, Joe Carlucci, Ken Bryant. We're all going to be running the pizza games. So we're so busy there with that. You know, we've also I've got the the talk um, of the uh, how to open a mobile pizzeria. So there's just going to be a lot going on at Expo and. You know, the team is bigger than ever, the World Pizza Champions. So Mike's been heading that up, uh, Mike Bausch, of just getting everybody together, making sure we just have a great and huge presence. So I'm super excited about Expo. And and it's funny because everybody's talking, you know, what about this Delta? Is this going to ruin everything, the new mandates, you know? And I, and I was talking with Grande yesterday, and they're, they're coming no matter what. So I'm super excited about that, you know, to hear the big companies are going to come, even if the mandates happen and, and the restrictions, they're going to be okay with it. So Expo is going to happen.
0: Yeah, you know, in the in many things are going to happen at Expo, and we put together an itinerary for, for my managers when we go out there every year, and there's one spot on the itinerary that's circled, and it's big and bold, and it is the keynote on Wednesday morning, and it's with our guest today, Mike Bausch. Mike, welcome in. Thank you. I am stoked to be here.
1: So now, really on the ex- keynote, Mike, what what's what is your main topic? You're going to talk about. Well, Siler, let me tell you. So <laughs> uh,
2: it's, it's fun to be on a podcast with you. I, I, I mean, both of you guys have been to my pizzeria. We've known each other for a very long time. So it's it, you know it's like chatting with a you know just glad to talk to you guys. I mean, I, I saw you, Nick, only like less than a month ago. I think out here. Uh, yeah,
0: it was very hot when we were out there. So it, wasn't <laughs> that, so it definitely had to be summertime. No, it was, you're right, about 30 days or so.
2: To your, to your question, Tyler, what will this keynote provide? I, I say this with the least amount of sarcasm possible. It is going to be the, my best, biggest speech ever. And I don't really like build things up. I want to underpromise and overdeliver, but there's going to be gifts there's going to be surprises there's going to be guest stars and you would think oh is he kidding I'm not I'm really not because I, I don't have the capacity to half ass it's always full ass so typically like any I think that's the benefit of what we've done with Andolini's is instead of saying okay how can we maximize profit on this one thing which is a noble question we always say how can we make this the coolest thing profitable, the coolest thing possible. And by default, it'll become profitable. And with the speeches I've done in the past, it's been, hey, talk menu creativity. So I try and load up the speech with as much information as possible and really give value to the people who come and see me speak, uh, just because I don't know, even if I wasn't paid to do it, I'm just wanting to make sure people get something out of it. are not gonna lead to something else that's good in regards to this keynote, they, the, a keynote's an odd speech because they say, hey, tell your story and talk about, you know, the industry, which is a very open-ended approach. And I have a lot of thoughts on that and I don't usually tell people the story of me. I, I don't get into, you know, my family history because it's like, how does it provide value to the, to the viewer? So I've worked on that in a way where it does and whether it's five people or five hundred people, I'm looking forward to killing.
1: I love it.
0: Mike, are we gonna? See, are you're talking about picture, You know, family and um, you know the history of you. Are we gonna? Are we gonna see a picture of you in uniform?
2: Oh, in the Marine Corps. Yeah, we're gonna. Uh, I there's very few photos taken from that time, and you kind of uh, the there's going to be photos of me at that very odd point in my life. Uh, To the story, I mean, people that not everyone knows, I was down to 135 pounds, I weigh over 200 now, I was down to 135 with my body being ravaged by type 1 diabetes and the United States Marine Corps Officer Candidate Program of uh, OCS, and I didn't know what was going on. And by the time I got done with it, I still had never been to sickbay. And when I went and finally went to a hospital, when I was visiting uh, my brother, I was like, I can't feel my face. they like, you're the most obvious case of type one diabetes we've ever seen in our lives. I didn't know that type one juvenile diabetes could happen to you at 20. So I have a few photos of that. I have a few photos of some other stuff from my family. And then I'm really diving into not just, hey, let's go see him talk about his family and how, you know, he got skinny in 2002. <laughs> but let's, let's get into what this industry is about, where are we going, where are we at? What's the next thing? and how we're all a part of that. And it's a very communal thing because the beauty of a keynote is you're talking to your peers and the industry. Like a lot of people I bet in the room might not have ever seen me speak because they're so busy competing. You know, I, I, I don't, it, and with a keynote, you're like, okay, let me see what this guy has to offer about the industry. Uh, and you're going to have a lot more people in the room that don't go to seminars normally because they just can't.
0: And when you start to tell your, your journey in the pizza industry, how important has relationships been in your in your journey? Relationships with people that you've met along the way, mentorships and and, and that type of relationships?
2: Uh, I mean, it's paramount, and I don't say that lightly. I think there's a massive misconception that successful people go it alone and they're hard asses who are, you know, money grubbing. I don't think that's further from the truth. Yep. There's the anomaly. Social sociopath-type CEO here and there. But by and large, it's people that are charismatic, people that draw people together, that because they believe in others but have standards, get the best out of each other, whether it's themselves or others. And I think that's what I've aspired to do. And I've, all, I've not always done it great. And, you know, even with the World Pizza Champions team, when people wonder what that group is, it's a group of lifers. You, me, Siler included, Tony Gimignani, all these guys – and girls who say hey we love this message, so we want to make it better and you know 10 years ago it it was that but the last five years we've taken it to really coordinate our efforts and and build on these relationships where we're not just all wearing the same patch you know we're jumping in to help each other out at at demos we're talking to each other during a pandemic about what programs we're working on we're being there for each other not just from a marketing and professional standpoint, but even emotionally. And I, and I think that's what relationships are. And that's what this industry has become and is becoming more integrated, more opinions, less, Hey, don't look at my stuff or else don't steal from me, but let's share and grow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause think, I mean, 10 years ago, you could, you know, walk into your local pizzeria and he'd cuss you out and tell you to leave. Now it's, in arms and, hey, what can I do to help you, you know, get better as well? And, and I've seen that growth tremendously over the last 10 years, which you would have never saw, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Not at all. When, when I was
2: opening Adelini's, I called all the restaurants that I grew up on and I was like, hey, I'm opening a, a restaurant. I'm not anywhere near you. I'm in Tulsa. I'm trying to do this thing. They're like, okay, uh, you know, you're gonna add uh you're gonna add milk to your dough, and then you're gonna shake it and you're gonna leave the dough out overnight. I'm like, with milk in it? Yeah, yeah, that's what you do. I'm like, oh, that guy was messing with me. Oh shit, okay. Uh <laughs> just, like a lot of that, and you know, to his credit, I said this many times publicly, the only person that that called me back and talked to me legitimately was Tony Giuliani. Bear in mind, he had never met me before. Now, the actual story is I called Paisanos after I saw Tony on Food Network. He was at Pizza Expo, which I didn't even know what it was. He called me back two weeks later at 7 o'clock my time, 5 o'clock his time, and we talked for 45 minutes on the phone about rotoflex and screens. I say that because if you ask Tony today, I called him at one in the morning and woke up him and his wife, Julie. And he was like, who's this guy? This guy, Boush. Oh God. And then he talked to me and was just so annoyed and stopped his day for me. And that I ruined his night's sleep and his wife was angry
1: at him. That's how he would say today. (laughs) That's a typical Tony for you. That's great. And it's funny because you can't argue the fact that when you said that you called him at seven or he called you at seven, it was five o'clock his time. He does that every day this morning. It's 6.30 my time. He's texting me, and I'm like, dude, do you ever sleep? You know, it's like it's 3.30 in in California, and and I'm just like, does the guy ever sleep? You know, so I'll, I'll believe your side of the story on that one for sure. So, Mike, let's back up a sec. For everybody that's listening on the podcast, maybe there might be one person that doesn't know who you are. Can you give us a quick rundown? Who is Mike Bausch?
2: Uh, I'm Mike Bosch. I've been in the industry since 2005. I own Andalini's Pizzeria, which started in a, a suburb of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I grew up in New York and New Jersey and in the Bay Area of California and moved here when my brother moved here. Instead of going to law school in 2005, it's grown to five pizzerias, all within 20 minutes of each other, all owned by my brother and I. Uh, we've also added two gelaterias. One of those lotterias as a commissary where we can make the product as fresh as possible but then share it and keep consistency Along with that i have uh with my brother a food truck and a fine dining restaurant two food hall concepts and a location at the tulsa airport that's going to get converted and at first it was a merchandise store slash where you get a water then we added pizza then we added gelato then we added bagels we started making bagels about a month ago and we just got approval to add a bar to it. So a lot of the stuff we do is a little bit dyslexic at times. The beauty of Tulsa is that I am, uh, I'm just Tulsa enough to get marketing done pretty easily at this point and pizza famous enough that if I'm doing something, people in the pizza world uh, seem to dig it. And I wrote a book about the pizza industry and how to survive it and how to organize systems and how to talk to a trade staff. It was just every single thought I had had in my head for about a decade. And I got with the best publisher I could find and uh, made the best book I could possibly aspire to make. It's called Unsliced, How to Stay Whole in the Pizzeria Industry. And it came
1: out in November of 2020. So, so let's talk about Unsliced. You know, I think... Anybody that gets the book, get the audio version because Mike actually does the reading of that and it has changed my life forever because of the drama that you bring to that book is phenomenal. Um, And the way you wrote it is exactly how you would say it in person, anyway. So it's not like it was um, manipulated by, you know, um, the people that, you know, put the books out for you. So I absolutely love the book. It's Unsliced, Mike. How can we get it? It's everywhere you can get a
2: book. I, I really wanted to go all in on doing it the best way possible, so I got with a great publisher. Like if, uh, if you guys know David Goggins, uh, they, he, the highly motivational Navy SEAL, uh, even the people that did, um, did Tiffany Haddish's book, that's the publisher I got with them. The beauty of that program is they got it. If you're on Audible, Apple, Amazon, Everywhere any book in any way, shape, or form is sold, barsandnoble.com. It's available. Uh, I do I, really appreciate the notes. I, I really threw myself into doing that audiobook. Side note on the audiobook, I had two days, two mornings to do that. And it's six hours of audio that took me 12 hours to record. So I did it in 12 hours, which is not a lot. But I knew I read and written the book so many times. I had it damn near memorized and pounded it up. Was like saying a paragraph and then drinking water, pounded yep. out, pounded out. And I'm really proud. Usually they fly you to like Vegas or um, Los Angeles or, or Austin to record it. And I got with my local zoo crew radio station. I said, We could do this, right? I'm like, yeah. And pounded it out from like five in the morning till, till 11 before I had my meetings for today. And uh, I'm proud of how it came out.
0: Yeah, and I thought it came out great, Mike. And and what I really liked about it was, it spoke to the the owner operator, but it also spoke to the managers. I know that um, I had my team doing a weekly book club where we read a chapter a week, and then we discuss it on our weekly calls, and and they really got a lot out of it. It was, it's one of those things that it was we've never done that before. So when you're trying to get a group to read, there's a lot of um, just size and. And uh, a little bit of, you know, do we really have to do this? But we made it easy for them because you, you were gracious enough to, to get us the, the audio p- part of it. Um, and we put that out to them. And then you could tell after about week two or three <clears throat> listening to it, that they really started to get into it. And they, they, it was really interesting to have eight people that, that read the book. And then they would each pick out something different about what stood out to them. And really, that's what I like so much about the chapters is it, it, to me, it wasn't like it was one chapter that was um, one. sometimes you read a book and it's got one thought in the chapter and then the whole chapter just keeps going round and round and says the same thing 20 different times. But the book, it seemed like had 20 different points rather than 20 separate uh, facts, if that makes sense. So it, it was really detailed. I, th- I thought it was really well written. And there was so much to, to get out of it. If you haven't picked it up yet, you're listening to the real slice, but the book you need to get is unsliced. So go ahead and check it out. And as Mike said, it's everywhere.
1: And Mike, it's funny. Um, my manager um, and my right arm man, Chris, he, he pointed out the best part was uh, how you broke it up and was like, hey, go listen to this song and quit listening to me kind of yeah. moment. You know what I mean? And then like, go listen to this song, you know? And uh, yeah, obviously, I is that because you soundtrack. were
2: in the radio? Well, the book has a soundtrack. I just, I, again, I don't have to ask anything. So I want to, if I'm going to write a book, it's not going to be like, hey, come look at me. I wrote a book. It's, I want to give, I want you to enjoy it. And I also was very aware, that, to your point, Nick, not everyone that's in the pizza industry are going to be like avid readers, not that they're dumb or something, just like a lot of people don't have time. Another big reason why I did the audio is I think everyone's driving to their store or something and could pound that out. And I was, I, I, nothing works when you don't put yourself out at the forefront. And that's a big thing I give as advice in the book and to people in general is stop making a cliche pizzeria. Don't put photos on the wall of Italy, especially if you've never been to Italy, or even if you're not Italian. It's not, don't do these cliche things. It's like, it's like if everyone is trying to dance the same way at the middle school dance, none of you are gonna get any attention paid to you. You wanna be standing out so customers say, hey, what's different? And they want to check out your pizzeria. I was talking to a, a, someone called me up and just had some questions about the things that were going wrong with their pizzeria. And they they said that they're from Lebanon and how do they you know make their pizza more Italian? I said, well, do Italian pizza, but do a few Lebanese things that you like to eat and mix that in because it's gonna be different. And if I see that, I might come check it out. And they were in a pretty packed neighborhood in in California. And I was like, there's you probably are fighting 20 pizzerias all trying to be classic, you know, do Joe's pizzeria and blah blah blah. And it's just fighting this cliche battle. Yeah, there's a few guys who can do it authentic, but you wanna just be different and being interesting and being yourself. So the book, I love music, gave the book a soundtrack because I thought that would be fun. And if it makes me laugh just a little bit, I do it in the restaurant and I had to do it in the book. The book, a lot of it is, you know, there's jokes, there's, it's not dorky jokes, but just things that I say, there are things that entertain me to keep it moving because it's a lot more palatable if you're enjoying it to digest content.
0: Yeah, and I think that rolls right into into your pizzerias really too, because each one had a, a certain feel. It was a, a fun flavor to it, different, unique, exactly like what you're you're talking about. Um, but but also really elegantly done too, really nice looking, um, aesthetically appealing. So so I think you did a good job to blend that, and I think the the book kind of brings that out. Like you definitely practice what you preach. And I think it was interesting when you said, um, we asked asked you to introduce yourself and you said you have five pizzerias. Um, and then you went into the extra stuff, but really when I was out there, as you mentioned, um, you know, about 30 days or so ago, there's so much more than five pizzerias, Mike. Like, like I, I, I think we left and, uh, we were trying to figure out what, like how many different operations do you really have? And, um, it was just really extensive. And I think it brings it to one of the questions we, we wanted to ask today. And that, that is like, what motivates you to, to keep going? Like to keep coming up with different concepts, different ideas, uh, to offshoot gelaterias, to go ahead and have all these different uh, s- slice shops in different markets and, and airports. Like, and, and I think there's more ideas that you didn't even mention that you're actually working on uh, different concepts and stuff too. Like what what motivates you?
2: Well, the motivation is an odd thing because, I mean, I could stop and we could stop pretty easily, but then we'd be bored. And now on the flip side of that, go that, could we go to Oklahoma City and Dallas? And Yeah, we could, but I look at it I, – I I don't believe in doing the path that's been done before, which is the typical of like, okay, well, now we got to go to this other market. I don't really see that because if I could touch all this stuff in Tulsa and make Tulsa cooler, I could keep – touching it and giving it that value that really matters. It was eye-opening, I think it's like 2007, I saw someone speak and they had a ton of stores, a ton of pizzerias, like 40 pizzerias, but only the 10 that they owned were really killing it. And the other 30 that were franchised were just making, you know, a little bit and giving some money via the licensing fee. And I was like, I don't like that at all. That's just me personally. I have stuff that I'm stoked about that's super profitable and doing what it needs to do. Now, on the flip side, when we started with one pizzeria, you—if you have one pizzeria and you run and you do everything—you can have a life, a very small, not a lot of time life, but you can do it. But once you get to two or three pizzerias, now you got to get to five pizzerias as fast as humanly possible, so you can afford a bookkeeper, so you can afford someone to do HR. It's now your overhead has become so large and you've got to have more under it to support it and now that we created this in, just insanely systematic infrastructure it makes sense to add stuff on top of it because we're really not starting scratch it's okay call the phone guy call my licensing add a store and boom we're in a great flow right now Where opening a store in the past i would say like by when we opened our fifth Andalini's, i by the time i was done with that i i thought Well, there's two years that I probably took off my life at the end of my life in stress. Mm -hmm. Trying to get 40 people locked and cocked that have never worked for you before, maybe five have, but the other 35 haven't, and that they all have to be disciples within three days to go live on day five. Meanwhile, everyone's going to judge you on your opening day is insane. It's just an insane process. It doesn't make sense. and. Now that I can open something that maybe takes four people to run, we can just pull one person from this store, this store, and this store. It's a lot nicer. Is it easier? Yes, it is much easier. It's significantly easier. And it's yeah. fun. I mean, it's, there's also it's so much time in the day, there's only so much you can give. So I like to empower visionary leaders. There's executor leaders and there's visionary leaders. You got to get visionary leaders that are going to really run a store and as we've had more of them, I've given, I've had more opportunities. You can't get a a bunch of, you're not always going to have a bunch of uh, captains of the team and quarterbacks. You might just have a lot of linemen sometimes. And in that position, you really can't open more stores. I've been blessed that I've had a bunch of quarterbacks.
1: That's interesting to, you know, hear that philosophy behind that. Um, My question goes to, at what point, and for the people that are listening don't know this, but Mike now has a commissary that makes all the dough. Do you do all the prepping? Can you kind of talk about that and why you chose to go to that and then deliver to the stores? Yeah, I mean, it has
2: a positive and negative connotation depending on how you look at it. If you look at it like, oh, well, now they're not even making dough in the stores. Yeah, it's a I think it's a short-sighted negative, but if I, and I've even had that perception, but if I say, okay, I'm going to have the person who knows how to make dough the best and consistently in an environment where we could then let it ferment the proper amount of days before we take it to a store and they order it like product that will do better. I, if I was to, cause we slice our pepperoni. If I would go into stores and they would be slicing enough pepperoni to get through the shift I was like, you know, like, well, I'm trying to keep it fresh. Like, you know, if you slice all the pepperoni that you're going to use in the next day and a half, it's not going to go bad. They're like, well, you know, I just, I'm just trying to get by this. I got this and this and this to do. I was always fighting that battle. And I would even say, if I was to just give you four cases of sliced pepperoni right now, would you take it? Oh, yeah, that would make the right life a lot easier. It is really hard. And it's always going to be an uphill battle to get people to do all the prep while all the orders now they still do prep in store it's not like everything's given to them the dough and the sauce because those things are not freshness driven at least not in the sense that they need to you don't want fresh dough also anyone listening if you advertise that dough made fresh daily i'm like you sound like a dumbass when you guys right, say that i see it across america god does that annoy me is that what what? a stupid cliche things annoy you Siler, when you see the yeah. advertisement for it
1: yeah do you have um, any that hit your brain
2: and you're just like, oh, my God, please stop saying this?
1: Yeah. And it, I mean, it just reminds me of so 80s and 90s models back in the day, you know, and then they still keep using the same thing, you know, the finest ingredients. And I'm like, who said they're the finest? Did you?
2: <laughs> Is there a board of trustees that say these are the finest of the ingredients? Like you can, If you say, I use Stanislaus because of this, this, and this reason, and here's how fast they pack the tomato, okay, these are facts, they're not opinions. And the opinion game is debilitating in this industry. But going back to the other thing, I just want to, you know, with a commissary, they can still buy boxes at, at the store level, but we, so we can slice and prepare those products the best possible, the salad dressings the best way possible, uh, but pasta, we're still going to make that in each individual store and and things like that and, and cook things to order and make the best possible pizzeria that's consistent and trackable if there ever is an issue we have each product so heavily labeled and down to who made it at what time that we can check the camera
1: it's it's very specific at this point right but at, at what point did you say justify the labor i mean did it increase labor did it not oh god it totally saved us a labor because instead of having five
2: stores all waking up you know at five to make dough and doing you know 10 to 12 batches of dough I get you know five mixers with four dough guys who get in at six and they work on it all day for all the stores you know it's just a numbers game it's like you ever work on a computer and you really get in the zone going through emails or something but then and then you leave that and you you get ready for a workout and there's you know, prep time, a decompress time, and you do something else. Well, imagine you just kept someone in that computer zone all day. That's what it's like in the dough. We keep them in the dough zone all day. They're not stopping to go. Oh, hold on, I got to go take this delivery, which is what happened in the stores. We always ran into they're pulled in too many directions.
1: No, the, and that and that's great advice. Um, and then, so now with the gelaterias. Are you making it at the commissary and send it to the stores now?
2: Well, we we had one gelateria was the gelateria-based operations that made gelato and shipped it to the other stores, and the other gelateria didn't make gelato was a commissary. We have thus taken the gelateria and the commissary and blended them, and uh, our Broken Arrow gelateria does not make gelato anymore, but we're about to transition it to be a bagel, coffee, restaurant in the morning and a gelateria at night. So like half Noah's bagels, half gelateria at night and they could still get gelato in the morning or whatever, but that way we can maximize the, the money that the store gets by
1: having, you know, three shifts instead of one or two. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Now tell us about like, how, how does it work with them taking the dough? Do you have a refrigerated truck? I mean, how does that work?
2: A lot. You got to build a lot of custom stuff. So we, uh, we, we get we build custom racks, like trying to go pan by pan. But now we have a lift gate, just like if you got a bunch of glassware delivered. You know, we have a lift gate. We got a proper truck. It wasn't cheap. You know, you get a business loan. You you get the loan that lets you do it. But it it's been paying for itself, and the quality and consistency have done that. And it's such, especially on labor. I can't speak to that enough. The labor savings is insane.
1: Yeah, that's big. Um, Nick, you want to touch on that at all?
0: Yeah, you know what? I kind of wanted to switch gears real quick. You know, I feel like listening to everything, and, and I think it's a good opportunity to ask both of you this question. So, you know, in this pizza industry, everything seems like there's trends and things shift and change. And one thing that's been really popular over the last few years has been the food trucks. And I feel like I should ask both of you, as a guy who does not have a food truck in their operation, like, can Mike? Can you sell me on why you have the food truck in Siler? Um, you're having such success with it. Like, to anybody out there listening that doesn't have a food truck, is it something they absolutely should do? Like, they shouldn't even think about it. Like, they are missing something <laughs> so big right now by not having a food truck.
2: I th- no, see, I would not say everyone should take on a food truck. Here's the the beauty of a typically food trucks. You start with, hey, I don't have enough money for a full brick and mortar, so I'm going to make my here and then I'll open up a brick and mortar once I, once I dis- establish my brand and, and my workflow. That's typical. It does not work that way with the pizza truck as much because as Siler Wells knows, you don't have a, you, you can't have on a food truck your mixer and all the other stuff in your prep. So pizza trucks necessitate a commissary much more than other food trucks. So you're double dipping to begin with. It's still possible to be profitable, but you're double dipping. Now, weather and your local municipalities and laws play another big role. It was a free-for-all in the early 2010s. And now a lot of the towns, oh yeah, you can't park here, you can't park there. there. You can like go to private events. So it to be a food truck operation, you have to not only have a great product and be willing to go out, you also have to have someone who's fully managing the schedule and new leads, and almost like a full-blown catering director, and then is it an event where you go and you just are selling slices or you're going to a private event? What are the minimums? And especially wherever you're at, you have to decide, do I have enough big festival events? Because that was our biggest reason to start. We had five brick and mortar's, and people would say, oh, you should open a Caluca d'Ataw we have the big lake event in the summer. I'm like, great, I should definitely be there for your one lake event of the summer and not any of the other 364 days a year. But people will say, hey, there's a massive line these three days a year, you guys would kill it. And that's what we've done with the food truck. We can go there the days of the year that they're doing great and not any of the rest. You could have a nice nice base of operations where you got a hospital these two days and at the bars that don't have a restaurant but they need something to eat near the bar and and you're not really having to pay a big to the owner and nurturing those relationships, making them all happen, being on top of it, having a website, and then just having a staff who, Hey, sorry, we had rain for a week in a row. You're not going to get paid. That's arduous unless you have somewhere else for them to go or you're that guy. You're kind of screwed. It's great to not have to pay for plates or for, uh, paper towel rolls and all the other random stuff that a full-blown restaurant entails because you could still sell a slice for the same amount as a full-blown restaurant without having to pay an electric bill and a heating bill and, and toilet fees and all that crap but it rains and oh i have no customers because i don't have a roof over my
1: head yeah that's a good point and you know, I make thoughts, my guys. Just, well, I, I make my guys go out in the rain, and we just suffer and make a little like a car drive-through kind of feel, and uh, they just come and pick it up. So, because <laughs> it rains here in North in North in South Carolina all the time. So, um, but no, Mike. I mean that that's a that's a tough one. You know, see, my thing is is if you already have a brick and mortar, I absolutely would say go get a food truck. You know, but again, it does location, location. If you're in the middle of the country and there's not all these events going on and there's not a lot of, you know, households, then yeah, that a food truck doesn't make sense at all, you know, but if you're in a highly populated area uh, near a big city, then yeah, it makes a lot of sense, you know, to get your brand out there. Um, and here's the cool part. The guys that are wanting to start up, just like Mike was saying, you know, it was food trucks was always a thing to get. And then you go to brick and mortar. So I see so many people that are, have food trucks in Charlotte, and now they're all going to brick and mortars. And I'm over here laughing. I'm like, I'll never go back to brick and mortar only because of the profitability. I have no overhead. I share rent with, you know, 10 other people of, you know, at a commissary. So i got my own little section. I can do what I want, you know, and rent's nothing, you know, the power's taken care of the, you know, the water, we don't have any overhead. So, The only overhead is the truck payment and a, and a trailer payment, you know? So, um, then you look at the profitability of that. It's, it's hard when the average restaurant makes 6%. So now I can make anywhere from 32 to 42% on a truck and have a full blown team. And I don't even touch the truck. And so therefore I can do half the sales that a restaurant has to do and still make more money. So I mean, it, so there's a lot of pros and cons there, you know? And so, I hope that answered your question a little bit, Nick. Did that help? Yeah, I
0: guess my only other concern always is, like, what about the truck breaking? Is it the same? Should you treat it the same as, like, if you're in a brick and mortar and your oven breaks? Like, is it something that you really don't worry about and you worry about it when it happens? Like, I guess that's the part. When you're starting to look at food trucks, there's there's a lot out there on the used market. Is it worth buying a used one? Is it worth buying a new one? Like, um, I don't know. That That's my my thoughts on it. And I think it's probably a lot of people's uh, thoughts on it too, like what keeps them out of it. So
1: Mike, you have an actual food truck truck. Did you buy yours new or used? Yeah. So I buy, our food truck is a UPS
2: box truck style truck. And we got it used. What, you know, we've totally redone the engine and they put in everything it needed to be. We've rewrapped the truck at the time that we've had it. Last year we did and we take it very seriously i find that if you conduct it like its own business it's the smartest way it can piggyback off existing stores but we have it has its own general manager its own pos its system we take that thing fully serious and you also a big thing i emphasize to people getting in the food truck industry you have to move you're out with a bunch of other food trucks the Whoever's moving the line is going to get the most money. And a lot of people want to jump into the Napolitana game, which I love. And it's very successful, but you can only do so many pizzas at a time. If you're like, Hey, I need to do pizza to save my life and make money. You're going to want to have something I can crank out 500 slices. Cause you, I mean, if you go like crank out 40 pizzas in an hour, well, you'll never serve more than 40 pizzas or 40 people. And when I say that, I mean like 40 individual pizzas. So, these are dynamics that uh, people need to take into account. And, and we'd be remiss if we hadn't mentioned the weird, not weird, but the new dynamic of people taking uni ovens and just showing up in parking lots and doing it on tables instead of buying full-blown trucks. Like the, the, the world is shifting and people that were just, instant lovers are becoming pizzaiolos at festivals all of a sudden.
1: And I, and I think you're you're talking about the pizza slut well she's one of them but i mean there's i mean you're, it, it is not it's like the craft brewer
2: movement where there'd be like a harvest festival make your beer and bring it and that wouldn't have existed in 2002 they have four you know you're going to some regular tier three city and there's 400 brewers we're getting if i was just open i come bring your uni and make pizza I bet you I get twenty to thirty people tomorrow. Not for me, just in general. So it's a trend that people should be more aware of than I think they are.
1: Yeah, and and it's great because people are getting into the game so much cheaper, and it's so crafty and it's unique and different. I know uh, at least five people that are doing it through Unis, doing two, three of them stations on on a table, throwing up a pop up tent and. You know, they got less than two grand in everything, you know, and but they're saving their money to get an enclosed trailer, then getting to a brick and mortar, you know. So I think it's phenomenal. But going back to Nick, what you were talking about, you know, use new. Um, I got a guy here at our commissary and his truck's been down for two weeks. They had to redo the whole motor. He's had nothing but issues. He's having to cancel on people. So I'm, I'm at that point, okay, if you build the model around a payment plan, okay, do you go new? Because you can get a box van for 50 to 60K, you know, brand spanking new, do the, do the outfit yourself inside. Um, or do you, you go buy something used and hope that you got a great diesel mechanic or a gas mechanic that can, you know, rebuild the motor and, and do all that? How much are you looking at to do that? How long will that new motor last? So there's so many pros and cons with an actual food truck. Then, I took the approach of take buying the trailers and then a truck, because if my truck goes down, I can go over to Lowe's or home Depot and rent a truck for 20 bucks a day and still get to the location, you know um, where I've seen people have uh, tow their food truck into a location and then tow it back home just to make the event work. So I think there's a lot of pros and cons and I think everybody's situation is a little different. Um, So that's, where a lot of people have to do their own pros and cons on, you know, new truck versus used truck. And, you know, at the end of the day, do you go truck versus trailer, you know? So there, there's a lot there that's entitled on that. And then Mike, where do you see
0: everything going right now? Like, is there uh, a movement with the way that the COVID has shifted? Uh, the employees shifted the, um, the way people's um, eating habits uh, the customers' eating habits. Like, is there? Is there? Where do you see the future going here? I, I would have argued that before COVID, um, more seats would have been the way to go. But now it's kind of uh, things are different. So, where do you see things going um, in the next five years in the industry? I definitely see
2: less less staff being able to be to execute with less staff, less people on site. Alcohol. There's certain things that like. Are, you're always going to have, you know, a jazz club, but the jazz club isn't popular. Bars, the bars are in decline. People are not drinking as much. People are not, the craft movement, I'm still a big proponent of, it's still super is part of our brand. But in the next five years, it's going to decline a little bit because 18 year olds aren't trying to get hammered as much. They're, they're into other stuff. The, the weird dynamic that I see is how fast can you get it to me? And how, how special do I feel about myself for buying it? That's where it's at. It, health, people are becoming way more health conscious. So now if I'm going to eat pizza, I need to feel like this is the best. You can, And then, and then the people are like, I don't care. I'm just going to eat whatever. You are not going to, you, I, and all people listening to this podcast are, are not best suited to try and fill that need. That need is going to come and be fulfilled, not just by Papa John's or Pizza guys but by gas stations because gas stations are pretty damn good at making pizza all of a sudden a lot of them and the ones that aren't are spending a ton of money to get better at it so they are going to take over the convenience market it's now experience driven pizza which means your story is interesting your pizza's dope your your vibe is is cool and even your packaging needs to make me feel special because i might not even go to your store and you got to kill it on Doordash or whatever your third party is. You got to kill it on your Instagram feed, your website. It really matters. It just needs to be a portal for me to online order at this point. If I want to know about you and your business, I'm going to Instagram. And then that's going to die, and it's going to be kerfoff and, plop. and it's going to be something else. But as well, it's going to be who connects with the customer in the most direct, special way, and that's our secret special sauce. Is as individual owner operators, we can do that better than Papa John ever could or would. And that's what people need to be taking into account.
1: Mike, did your mic just drop like on the ground, like boom? (laughs) That was perfect.
2: (laughs) And and that's not even a, that's a split, just a split of what you're going to get at the keynote. And just, I don't know when this comes out, but the keynote's August uh, 18th. It'll probably be recorded. Again, there'll be. It's at 8.15 in the morning. So if you listening to this have any inclination to go to Expo, which you should, that the, the air of like, oh, no, not this year. I can't afford it. That's all BS. I, anyone that's gone to the Expo consistently for a while has made massive changes in their business and life, including me. Get up early. Come watch me. And if it sucks, I will pay you $100. If you thought that sucked, Mike, I will give you a $100 bill.
1: But it's not that's awesome. going to. I love it. I love it. That's so great. And then um, my next question, in this, and we're going to wrap up here with this, and and I think Nick's got one more for you, but is it true that Tony Gimiani will not drive his butt over to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, come see your pizzeria? What's up is with it us? true that
2: he has not? But I here's what's going to happen. Tony's just going to show up on my line one night, and he's going to call me and be like, why aren't you here? I'm going to be like, I'm at another store. Like, oh, well, uh, I'm having it. And, they're going to see it. and he's going to do it by, like, he's going to be going to visit Austin one day or something because – and he's just going to take the, the shot. And he's going to realize that there's not a direct flight from Austin at all, so he's going to be pissed about it. And that's how it's going to go down. You, mark my um, words, put this podcast into the – that's how the, how the hell, hell it's going to go down. He's not going to tell me he's coming, and he's going to be—he's going to be pissed about how hard it is to get to Tulsa. From, <laughs> like you have to go. There's a direct flight from Destin, a direct flight from Denver. But that's not where he's going to be, and that's how it's going to go down. I don't think I think he'd love to come out here. He talks about it all the time. You've been here. Shepard's yeah. been here. Smokovich has been here. Scott Anthony's been here multiple times. You know, it's a pretty cool place. I love
1: Tulsa. And- and and Mike, hats off, brother. Like you have one of the, and I've, I've told all my guys this. You yeah. have literally one of the best operating businesses I've ever seen in my life. Like everything's just boom, boom, boom. And Nick, I know y'all were out there with your managers, uh, you know, about a month ago. And I mean, I think you could agree with that. But I'm I'm just every time. You Know, I'm just amazed by it, and I tell Tony all the time, you got to get to Tulsa, you got to get to Tulsa. So, and, and and in Tulsa, there's no homeless people in downtown, so that it makes it even cleaner and better, you know, so, <laughs> than San Francisco. So we got we to we get them out there, you know.
2: It was interesting when you came because up until that, everyone knew me, and I had done speeches for Expo, but almost no one had visited us yet. So, when I was like, Oh, yeah, I own and in Tulsa, I'm like, Okay, sure, buddy, I'm sure it's good. I'm sure you do, and you're and when you and Shepard were like, no, he's like got ops, and it's it's legit. Just, yes, and without without calling anyone out, there's times where you'll see a guy at Expo, and he's like, oh my god, look at this. this, must be the best. And you go visit their pizza, and it's not good. You know, right. there's some people who are like really great at competition, and they're the you know their pizza their the pizza slices they have out are old. And like the server isn't even wearing a shirt for the logo, and it's like in a weird part of town and it's not like cool. And you're all, oh God, this guy has this. And then with us, I think a lot of people are like, Okay, Mike Bausch, the funny guy. I'm sure he, you
1: know, I'm sure it'll be all right. And we believe we're better than people's expectations of us. No, I'll give you that hands down for sure. Nick, what did you think about it when you went out there? Uh,
0: uh... I, I expected excellence mike and and we got it i did i just just from uh you know honestly like we put so many of our guys when we go to um the, the different uh expos we put a lot of our guys in your um seminars you know and that's why so when we went there i think we expected to, to see um some excellent run pizzerias but what blew me away was the part where like i mentioned once before where you open up and say well we have five pizzerias you got way more than five pizzerias like we yeah. just we couldn't keep track we're like what the heck did we see where did we go what didn't we see we're like oh my gosh like and then eric and i are at the uh the airport like ready to get onto the plane and we look over and there's uh, andolini's in the airport i'm like yep that about sums up our trip we see them everywhere so yeah <laughs> it was it was just it was a fantastic uh, trip and, out and then you there you got to
2: go to prossimo which I, I you know really oh. stoked about we have a really nice fine dining restaurant with all fresh pasta and Mediterranean and, and also uh, Northern means. It's not, not like hey, it's funny Italian food. It's like the, it's, it's my and my brother's version of, uh, of our personality with, with like Carbone. It's a Carbone oh. approach. And if you've never been to Carbone, I highly suggest you get a reservation while you're in Vegas or if you're anywhere near New York, go to Carbone. It's arguably one of the best and nicest Italian restaurants in the world.
0: Yeah, it, it, you're right. Uh, your, your restaurant there, i probably, uh, I miss not to to remiss not to mention it, but yeah, it was, uh, just, it, it wasn't just your regular spaghetti and meatballs. That's for sure. It, it was fantastic. And, um, just, just everything you did. And I think you, you said it from the very beginning, it's not half-assed in your own words, you go full-ass and, and, and you absolutely right. There's no doubt about it. Mike, you mentioned your keynote, you mentioned the book. Um, where else can they grab you at Expo? If they, What else are you uh, teaching if they want to catch you at Expo? And where else can they uh, find out more about your pizzeria?
2: Well, great. Uh, you can go to unslicedbook.com to just see about the book. The, you have the Spotify playlist of the of the songs from the soundtrack of the book for Westworth, which is fun. Uh, additionally, I didn't have to ask the website either. Uh, if you like to see at Expo and, and you're seeing this in time, I'm going to have a four-hour seminar on Sunday. and that's about increasing sales have a four hour seminar on monday about employees and then i'm going to do food demo on appetizers and how to make a really selfie restaurant along with third-party delivery it's a hot button topic i'm going to get into all that expo i got like three other seminars at the top of my head i'm trying to think what they are menu creativity just check out the expo book each one of my seminars i guarantee myself in the keynote doubly guaranteeing it it's worth waking up at eight in the morning i'm probably going to have a bunch of free five-hour energies and coffee at the door so that people can up and and light that mofo off
1: fantastic
0: (laughs) mike thanks so much for joining us um siler any last words there
1: no i can't top mike today man this is great so mike thank you so so much for being on today like this was a blessing and um i cannot wait to see you in a couple weeks Let's do it, brother.
0: All right. Thanks so much for your time, Mike. Really appreciate it. Siler, thanks for your time. This has been a a version of The Real Slice right before Pizza Expo. And just to mention, to catch us live at the Pizza Today booth, we'll be dropping an episode of The Real Slice every day out at Pizza Expo. And we will see everybody soon.